refrain from speaking and, and, and disclosing the truth. Furthermore, with respect to his wives, when you, ask, when you ask them for any article, then ask them from behind a screen. When you ask them for any article, then ask them from behind a screen. This is sure to deepen the purity of your hearts and their hearts. This is sure to deepen the purity of your hearts and their hearts. It is not for you believers to offend the messenger of Allah. Moreover, never are you to marry his wives after him. Indeed, before Allah, either of these would most surely be an, an enormous sin. All of these bad etiquettes I've spoken about, including lastly to get married to one of his wives after his demise, would be regarded as a major sin, enormous sin. Next ayah. In Tubdu Shayan, whether you disclose a thing or you conceal it, your disrespect, disregard for the Prophet, whether it is apparent or hidden, nevertheless, indeed, ever is Allah all knowing of all things. Nothing can remain hidden from Him. If that disrespect is internal, He's still aware of it, just as He is aware of that disrespect which is external. There is no sin upon the wives of the Prophet with respect to the attending their fathers unveiled, to meeting their fathers unveiled, or their own sons, or their brothers, or their brother's sons, meaning their nephews, or their sister's sons, or their women folk, or those bond servants whom their right hands rightfully possess, meaning their female servants. Female servants. Yet be ever God-fearing, O wives of the Prophet, Indeed, ever is Allah a witness over all things. So in these, in the first ayah here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the etiquette of walima. So last week we spoke about nikah and talaq. We spoke about Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa The final uh, the points we talked about, how Nabi sallallahu wasn't just simply looking forward to just getting married to many women. And if you study why and when he got married to those women, you'll realize that they were based on a maslaha and a benefit for the deen. And when he was young, at the height of his youthful years, he didn't marry more than one. And also when he did get married, he married who? Someone who was 15 years older than him. And then we spoke about just how one of the aspects yesterday, last week we spoke about that when, we, when Allah Azza wills for us to not, you know, stay together in marriage, some of the worst... Uh, Permissible thing in Islam is talaq. The most permissible thing in the eyes of Allah is talaq. It's, it's, it's a horrible thing, but when needed, you have to do that. So even if we negotiate about that process, we spoke about the idea of having good character. Instead of bad-mouthing, backstabbing, and going on character assassination for the next few decades. Simply, should, the answer should be, why did you part ways? Because it wasn't. My nasib was not meant there. My destiny was not written for me to be with her or for him. That's it. That's what it was. We were not meant to be together. That's why we parted ways. Besides that, you don't need to know anything. That is the true akhlaq of a believer, how a true Muslim is. You know, in reality, that's where we get tested. When you take a car, quality assurance, from a car to any other thing that's built in a factory, for quality assurance, what do they put it through? Easy conditions? No, right? They put it through very stringent, difficult conditions. 
That's how you know, can, you, can this car or this plastic material, this metal, can it withstand under pressure? And that's when you know whether it snaps. Oh, but mashallah, it worked perfectly. The belt worked perfectly. Only when the man jumped off from, you know, in bungee jumping did it snap. We never knew that. But it was working just like that. How's that going to help? Right? That's where you have to know when he gets tugged to that degree, it better not snap. And if you say, no, mashallah, overall, this wire, this rope is great. But poor guy died because the rope was not that strong. You know, who knew that it's not going to be able to withstand 150 pounder, 200 pounder jumping from the top of a bridge. We thought it would, but I guess it didn't. That's not going to be acceptable, right? The person is going to get sued for it. The company is going to get sued. Because that's exactly when, a, when the rope is needed, is when you're under strain. When you're putting it under strain, can it withstand the pressure or not? So if you say, overall, I'm a nice chill guy. Great, but don't make me angry. When I get angry, I don't know what I do. But that's the whole point. When everyone is, mashallah, you know, like right now, everyone's listening calmly. No one's, you know, getting excited. No one's getting angry. No one wants to stab anyone. Nothing's happening. But when, you, when, when under pressure, when people push the buttons, when people make you angry, when people cut you off on the, on the road, when people you know, speak ill of you or your parents or your siblings or your culture, how do you respond? That's where the real test lies. Under stress, under, under stress, under insults, when faced with anger, you understand who is the halim and, and forbearing person and who is not. I remember once, subhanAllah, I was traveling with a beautiful smiling brother. Really nice guy, nice calm person. Years back. And he was taking me from one program to the other. And someone cut him off. And literally, I was so scared to be with him in the car. Because I didn't understand his fuse could trip like this. Right? He had literally road rage in front of me. And I'm like, relax. What, what's wrong with you? But no, I couldn't even speak to him. He was so upset. He wanted to chase that person now, push him off the highway, and you know. And I'm thinking, okay, you can do this. Just drop me off and do whatever you want. You know? But I'm just shocked that this person could act like this. Because I would have never ever thought he could he had this type of temper. So you understand the reality of a person when they are in arguments and fights, when they are in, in, in under stress. So it, this is not an excuse for me or for you. To say, mashallah, you know, I was just. I'm always good, but that time, man, you just push the wrong buttons on me. But that's where you get tested. That's where you get tested. That's, who we, that's where we know who you really are. Is under stress, under, when you're angry, what type of colors come out? You know, what type of reality comes out? And so, Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam, when he says, Allahu Akbar, he says, I've never seen anyone more forbearing than who? Then, Allah. I've never seen anyone more forbearing, more forgiving, more forbearing than Allah. They ascribe a son to him, which is something which is so horrible. The Quran says in the last page of Surah Maryam, we did, Alhamdulillah, in the tafsir, that the heavens are about to split open out of anger when people ascribe a son to Allah. And the earth is about to split open. The sky is about to split. The earth is about to split open. And the mountains are about to fall down. Why? What's going on? What's the chaos? How dare you ascribe a son to Allah? They're so angry. So if this is the creation getting this angry, imagine how angry the creator will be. 
The hadith says, I've never seen anyone more forbearing than Allah, that they ascribe a son to Allah, yet Allah Azza wa Jal, yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ascribes, uh, yet Allah Azza wa Jal grants them sustenance and grants them well-being. Meaning those who are ascribing sons to him, what does he do? He still gives them a healthy breakfast, a nice lunch, and a dinner that you know is filling. And he protects them from getting into a car accident, getting hit by lightning, by getting hit by from something. He's, he's allowing them to live a very peaceful, comfortable life, even though they do the worst, heinous crime, which is ascribing a son or a partner to Allah Azza wa Jal. So that, what a beautiful statement. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what he's saying? I haven't seen anyone more forbearing than Allah. This is Allah's hilm. And so Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was the representation of the, of the qualities of Allah Azza wa Jal. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what was he? He was the highest representation of the qualities of Allah Azza wa Jal. And so Nabi Alayhi Sallam had the most hilm. Nabi Alayhi Sallam is sitting on his camel. You know, when you're sitting on a camel, you're way up. And a person, if I'm not mistaken, this was the scenario that he was sitting high up. And a Bedouin comes and throws a shawl, a sheet, like this, like you throw a rope around someone, an animal's neck, he threw around the Prophet his neck, or rather I should say, Nabi Sallallahu himself had a shawl around his neck. And it was hanging below him. And the Bedouin comes and he yanks it from the back. I mean, he pretty much choked him. He choked him so hard that he left a mark around his neck. Now if just imagine your most beloved daughter, your most beloved son, your most beloved spouse did that to you. Right? It doesn't make a difference. You'd lose it. Here is a random Bedouin who shows up and he does that. And Nabi Sallallahu simply just looks at him. How can I help you? How can I help you? Right? He didn't curse him. He didn't, he didn't say, you know, get, get the Sahaba to whip him. He said, how can I help you? And then this man started accusing Rasulullah He says, all of this doesn't belong to you. All of this doesn't belong to you. You're coming and taking the spoils of war. What doesn't belong to you? What about for us? And Nabi Wasallam said, oh, you want some of this, you know, spoils of war? You want some of this, this sheep and goat and camels? Why not? He said, yeah, of course. This doesn't belong to you in such a harsh manner. He physically attacked the Prophet ﷺ, verbally attacked the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, he just simply says, okay, here, take everything here that's here, you see it, take it, go. Take it, it's for you. He couldn't, he, he lost his mind. That man lost his mind. What? He goes back to his, his, his nation and he says, you know, this has to be the Prophet of God. This cannot be a normal human being. I have never seen anyone more forbearing than him. I mistreated him so badly. Yet he responded to me with such level of kindness and such level of forbearance. So there are so many, so many different hadith regarding this whole topic of forbearance. And that's something I need to inculcate within myself and we all need to work on. We need to work on creating forbearance and we need to, create, we need to work on creating sabr at the time of anger. Thanks. Yes. Right? So this is... This is something, subhanAllah, that we should be focusing on and thinking that next time someone says something to me, how do I respond? And Nabi mentioned one hadith, in hadith, authentic hadith. He said, Oh women, I have seen you. Oh women, oh group of women, the saddaqna, give a lot of charity. For indeed I have been shown to you to be the, the greatest amount of dwellers of hellfire. And then he said, For what? Ya Rasulullah, why are not they, they want to know why? Why are we the greatest dwellers of hellfire? For what? Why are there more of us? 
And Nabi Alaihi Wasallam said two reasons. He says, You curse a lot. You curse a lot. And you are ungrateful to your family, to your husbands. Cursing and being ungrateful. Cursing and being ungrateful. Where do they come from? What limb? What organ? The tongue, right? That part of the body, the tongue. Basically, because of the tongue, they're going to be in hellfire. So this is the usul, this is the rules. Any, whether male or female, we misuse our tongue. We're going to curse at people. We're going to get angry and just go on a rampage of curses. Then hellfire is waiting for us. And we're going to be ungrateful to those who are kind to us and take care of us. Our parents, our husbands, our wives, our children, whoever they may be. Those who are taking care of us, if we are ungrateful, that's also pathway towards hellfire. Because in our homes, it's so common. When the mother loses her temper, what does she do? She goes on a tirade. Tirade. She might be the most regular in her tahajjud salah. She may be the most regular in her fasting, Mondays and Thursdays. She may be the most observant of hijab and jilbab and niqab. She may be the most observant of reading Quran on a daily basis. But don't make her angry. When she gets angry, she will say what she has no sense of. Cursing her own son. That right? may jai. Right? May your feet break, may your head break. They'll curse their own kids. Curse their own husband, curse their own kids. Because they're not thinking. When ang- this is the craziness of anger. It overtakes your faculty of thinking. And you lose your mind and you say things which, who's going to suffer? When that child's foot breaks, the child won't cry as much as the mother will cry. Yeah? When a, mother, when a child suffers, he cries less, the mother cries more to see him in pain. But she's the one who brought this upon him by cursing him. So it's such a dangerous thing in our homes that when we get upset and we go angry, we, go, we call that you know, oral diarrhea. Right? It's just diarrhea from the mouth. Trash, filth, spewing out at unbelievable rates and a person has no understanding what he's saying. So when we become angry, we need to zip it up. Zip it up, internalize it. Drink water, do wudu, sit down, go away from the place that has upset you. Shut off the phone. Don't text anyone. Don't text the person you're angry with. Shut, shut it. And keep yourself away. Walk away from the scene. Walk away from the scenario. And eventually after some time, when things get settled, then you can come back. Allahu Akbar. So this is uh, the, the tongue, uncontrolled tongue, is what causes all of these problems. And we have to ensure that we are always looking out uh, for ourselves in all of these scenarios. And this is what causes the divorce today. What causes it today? Because people have no control of the tongue. People get angry. Everyone got angry. Anger is all part of us. But the way you get angry is the problem. And then if Allah decides for us to go part ways, again, watch your tongue. Doesn't mean Allah is not watching anymore. Ho gaya, finish. It feels like people have absolutely no fear of Allah. Absolutely no yaqeen that tomorrow they're going to meet Allah on the Day of Judgment. And every law, wrong accusation that we have leveled against our ex-spouse and their family, we will pay in court fully. We will be held accountable for that. We're not going to go anywhere until Allah will settle the scores. Like we ended last week on speaking about the, the horned goat and the non-horned goat. They're going to be brought to life and be given a chance to avenge themselves. So what about, an, what about exes? 
So this is the absence of uh, adab creates all of this problem. Our adab, my dear friends, it has to be there in all scenarios. And now we move specific scenario here. A scenario of, uh, of attending a walima. So the background of this is, the Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam, he invited his companions to a walima, the food that's served after marriage, of Zainab radiallahu anha. And many companions came and they ate and they left. It was a very small room, not a house, right? A room. And now the, the, the men are sitting there. Zainab radiallahu anha cannot sit in the same house, in the same room. She's sitting high, you know, in the shade or whatnot against a wall, sitting against a wall somewhere outside, waiting for the men to leave. But they're not leaving. And Nabi salam is pacing back and forth, hinting, like, we gotta get going, let's go. You know, the party's over. But we call them in Arabic, faqil. You know, meaning, just like kind of thick-headed people, uncultured, they just don't get it. They just don't get it until you spell it out for them. And you have to like literally tell them clearly. As they say in a very nice thing in Arabic, Aqil, the one who's intelligent, simply making an, alluding to something is sufficient. For an intelligent person, you allude to something, he'll get it. And the one who's a fool, even you explicitly tell him, he still won't get it. Even if you explicitly tell him, you won't get it. So in every society, there are always these thuqala, these very thick-headed uh, people who just don't get things. Emo maybe you can just say emotional quotient is low, low. They don't know about the etiquette. They don't know how to interact with one another. Social interactions is not their strength. Whatever reason. Maybe psychologists and, uh, and, and psychiatrists can give different um, uh, names for that. And you may have a different name for that. But you get what I was talking about. Those were not all Sahaba or like this, obviously. There's a group of them who just didn't understand. They, they didn't understand. And so I'm pacing back and forth. This is a big problem. May Allah save you and I from becoming from amongst those people who just cannot read cues. Because that life becomes miserable like this. We make life of others miserable. <laughs> right? We don't understand. We're not maybe making life our own miserable, but we're making other people's lives miserable. For not reading cues. For not understanding isharat. To understand what's going on. Why is this person walking around? Right? What's going on? To read a person's face. Maybe I'm speaking too long, too short. Maybe I'm speaking too harsh, too soft. You, we have to become like that. We have to be able to read people's faces and look at, read people's you know, gestures and, 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 uh, and what you call their nonverbal cues. It's so important. And we must teach our children how to read those because sometimes they don't get it. And instead of just getting mad at them, it's like a kid who doesn't know how to ride a bike. If he doesn't know how to ride a bike, by getting mad at him, he's not going to learn how to ride a bike. You actually have to teach him how to ride a bike or a hoverboard or whatever you want to call it. You need to teach him. So learn, you have to teach people at times. At times, they don't pick these things up naturally. So then we have to highlight them. And we have to you know, explain to our kids that this is, this is what you're supposed to understand. This is how you're supposed to pick up. That goes back to the tarbiyah that we have to give at home. For children and our young adults and, uh, to learn how to pick up nonverbal cues. So Nabi salam was shy. He didn't say anything to them. Allah Azza wa Jal then revealed these verses. So this is the background of this, the revelation of these verses. Now, before we already translated it, let's speak about the etiquette. Let's speak about the topic of etiquettes.
There are four, you can, you can say there are four main aspects of our deen. There are many, many classifications. Many classifications, but many classifications, but one classification is that Islam is comprises of four principles, four sutun, four pillars. Number one is aqidah. Aqidah. Right? Your belief. Number two is your ibadah, worship. Ibadah, belief, aqidah, ibadah, worship. Number three is mu'amalat, your dealings, financial dealings. And lastly, adab, etiquettes. Mu'ashara. Some have added akhlaq as separate. When they mean, when they say akhlaq as separate, they mean more so what? Akhlaq, you say this, mu'ashara, same thing. What do you think akhlaq and mu'ashara are the differences? When they say akhlaq, they mean the spirituality, spiritual dimensions, getting rid of the evil disease of the heart. Okay, so some counted as five. We got that aqidah, ibadah, mu'amala, mu'ashara, and akhlaq. Some instead of four. But the, if you didn't write, you can write the fifth one, akhlaq as well. So mu'ashara or adab is etiquettes. So one-fourth of the deen or one-fifth of the deen. And this is a very big portion of it. We have actually a dedicated class in our one-year program dedicated to tarbiyah because of the importance of it. You know, although it's taught, the Arabic teacher will also teach adab, and the fiqh teacher will also teach some of it. But it's not sufficient. That is something what uh, we require the most. As some have said to this extent, that make sure that the, connect, the amount of etiquette compared to knowledge in our life is like the salt and the dough. Salt being the knowledge, the dough being the etiquette. Meaning a little bit of knowledge is sufficient if you have a lot of etiquette. And a lot of knowledge is going to be of no benefit if we don't have etiquette. Yeah. This is something we all, are, all need to work on. And learning how to talk to people, how to interact with people. It's a very, very important aspect. And uh, like for example, just give you simple things. When we're speaking to someone, you may see someone. If, you see, if you're talking to someone and he's bouncing the ball, you call some boy and you're bouncing the ball and you say, hey boy, Berta, come here, can I speak to you? And not your son or even your son. Bouncing the ball is speaking. That's what today's kids think it's fine. I can speak to you while I'm bouncing the ball. Now that's obviously very disrespectful and not according to the etiquette. But someone obviously didn't teach them, so they don't know. When we had visiting guests over this past weekend, who did the basketball camp and some famous YouTubers and whatnot also visiting with them. One thing while they told me while they were here and on the way out and dropping off to the airport, one thing they wanted to say, what the greatest thing that we took from our weekend here was the etiquette of the youth, the etiquette of those who were part of the camp and the etiquette of the students of the madrasa obviously. Uh, they said we don't see this other places. Um, just the, the, the welcomingness that we felt as well as generally how receptive they are to hierarchy. And I think we have a long way to go. But definitely, alhamdulillah, we're blessed to hear things like that. But this is what deen is all about. If we, if we don't have this sense of hierarchy, if we don't have a sense of adab for, for our elders, then we have literally nothing left in the deen. In the army, what is it? 
It's all about respect your hierarchy. If the lower ranking officer does not listen to a higher ranking officer, he's going to get court-martialed. He's going to be kicked out. He's going to be safe. He's going to face lots of punishment. No matter how, how much valor you showed on the battlefield, but you cannot, cannot go against the hierarchy. Because what's going to happen? That will lead to anarchy. And that will lead to defeat on the battlefield. No matter how great you are, if you don't listen to your superiors, it will lead to us all being defeated on the battlefield. You cannot win the battle yourself. You have to follow the tartib and take the orders from up, higher ups, and then you will succeed in that. That's what our deen teaches us. And of course, the deen teaches us that the higher ups have to be humble. The lower ups have to be respectful. That's how it works. No one's a tyrant. No one's supposed to be a tyrant. So this etiquette is, what the, is, is, is something that Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi alayhi wrote Ihya al-Ulum. The revival of the Islamic sciences is dedicated to, a big portion of it is dedicated to etiquette. Bidayatul Hidayah is a beautiful book that's taught here in the one year program. It's accessible for any of you to take as well. We've taught it here after Salat al-Fajr, mashallah, in the team Fajr for over a year. Um, and it's available in the bookstore. If you don't have this book, definitely get it. Bidayatul Hidayah, the beginning of guidance. So Imam Ghazali's final book before he passed away. In that easy, in that beautiful book, he also discusses detailed etiquettes of eating, sleeping, drinking, wudu, salah, and then with parents, with wife, with kids, with friends, with acquaintances, with random people, with people who you don't like as well. Etiquettes with everyone. And etiquettes with Allah, etiquettes with the ulama, etiquettes with the asatidah, etc. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. So Imam Ghazali has spoken about this a lot. So why is it that some person, he's, he's, got, he's so filled with etiquette, everything he does, he says, he's, it's well thought out, very well mannered. On the other hand, a person, he has no a sense of modesty, haya, no sense of when to speak, where to speak, speaks out of line, speaks harshly, you know, says inappropriate jokes, all of those things. Why is that? The ulama say that the closer you are to Allah, the better your akhlaq will be. Because Allah is a treasure chest, if, you can, if I may use that word, of all good character. Allah is a treasure chest of all good character. The closer you are to Allah, the better your character will be. And the further we are from Allah, the worse our character will be. So ta'allum like external knowledge is not sufficient. Degrees are not sufficient. One of the students who graduated from here, he's, he's, he's studying abroad. He reached out to me and he said, SubhanAllah, you know, I'm, I'm realizing how, how much, how neglectful I was to etiquette when I was studying in madrasa. By traveling overseas and looking at people of greater etiquette, students of greater etiquette, I'm, I feel so humbled inside that I genuinely did not show respect to hadith and the teachers of hadith and the classroom of hadith the way I should have. Just like our new first year students are being overwhelmed with the talk of etiquette. Like, oh my God, I didn't know this. I don't know that. People, mashallah, they come and ask me. I like it. It makes me so happy. Sheikh, you know, I shook your hands. But maybe I shook it too long. What is the proper etiquette of shaking your hand? Right? Who asked that? How many sons of ours, daughters have asked this question? What is the proper etiquette? As um, one of our beloved teachers here, subhanAllah, of the high school, he was, he was just mentioning, he said, my students know that, you know, sometimes... Uh, sitting on the floor for such a long period of time, my feet get, you know, t uh, I get uh, tired and I need to stretch my feet. But he says, in front of me are Hufad of the Quran. I cannot stretch my feet in front of the Hufad. So then I have to ask them to 
part ways, you know, move, make space for me in front, in the classroom, so I can extend my feet, but in a manner that is not facing towards the hafil. Where do you learn that etiquette from? Right? This is the respect to a person in whose heart the Quran is. Subhanallah. Nabi Alaihi when he's burying people, multiple people in the grave after Uhud, what did he see? When he had to bury multiple people, he asked who had memorized more Quran. He's going to get the higher spot in the grave. So as people of Qur'an, if we don't have respect for our own Qur'an, how do you expect people to have respect for us? The idea is that we have to respect the gift that we have. It's not about how beautiful you can recite. It's about do you generally value what you got in your heart. And if you do, then act like it. That you cannot act like everyone else. A lot of the students, they say, we don't want to come study the deen. We don't come to the one-year program. Why? Because I will force to be, I'll, for, I'll be forced to change. <laughs> That's good, you change. No, but I like how I am right now. I'm scared to give up my jahiliyyah. Scared to give up my you know, life of ignorance. Because I know when I come into this environment, I will change. So this is the talk of the town. You'll ask the youth, they'll tell you this. Very common excuse. That if I come, I'll have to change, and I don't want to change. And the whole, a vast majority, or many of these brothers are, have memorized the Qur'an. Unfortunately, but the akhlaq and the adab of the Qur'an are not present. So what did we say? The closer you are with Allah Azza wa Jal, the greater the etiquette will be. I was mentioning to one of the student uh, classes that last week I was preparing for a tafsir in the office, in the, in, the, in the teacher's lounge. Right before Adhan, you know, I was finishing up. A teacher walks in, and a colleague of mine, and he went to use the restroom. As soon as he closed the door, he opened it, came back out, and he said, do you need to use the bathroom? I said, no, alhamdulillah, you know, I'm okay. And he went, and as I was walking up here, and I was just thinking about that, I said, look at that character there. That a person, he went inside, but he came out to say, but maybe, you know, he has, he has to go, he's older than me, or he has a tafsir to give, maybe he, need, he has a more hajat than I do. Let me look out for, even though he's sitting there, if he had to go, he could have gone before. But maybe he didn't think about it. Maybe right now when I walk in, he's realizing that. And now as we're getting closer to Maghrib, maybe he needs to do a fresh wudu. That awareness of your environment is what we're speaking about. Awareness of people. That's something we learn, not only from the books, but more importantly, by observing people who have etiquette. That's why it's mentioned in the books that a, a mother brought her five-year-old to the ustad in the madrasa and said, please teach him. He said, what do you mean to teach him? He said, I, I'm very concerned about etiquette. I want you to teach him etiquette. He said, this is, you've brought him at the wrong age. This is not the appropriate age. He said, oh, okay, what age should I bring him at then? After how many years? He told her, you're already too late. Five years is not the year, age when you start learning etiquette. You learn this at a much, much earlier age. And that's so true, so true. How to speak, to whom you speak, and, and how things change when you speak to elders and youngsters. All of that, the children need to be taught when they're two onwards. And how do, they get to, how do they learn that? They learn it from their environment. The more etiquette we have in our environment, in our homes, the greater they are too. They will, the, the quicker they will be to pull. Now I'm not saying that it's not going to be taught later on. The purpose of this story is that etiquette must be taught at a very young age. And I may add to this point, many people want to send, you know, do the Quran classes at home. They say, we want to, we'll study online over Skype. Or we'll study, have someone come at our home. That's... Many issues with that. But one greatest issue I feel is that 
where is that going to be hands-on etiquette learning that happens in a madrasa? As a six-year-old, as a five-year-old, when you come and you have to sit appropriately in front of the ustad, you have to dress appropriately in front of the ustad. And if you're not wearing something, if you're not wearing your topi properly, you're not wearing your kurta properly, or you're sitting inappropriately, the teacher will correct you. Those things happen from here on site, in any masjid, in any madrasa. They don't happen over Zoom. They just don't happen. Right? It's so hard to do that. So just something to keep in mind. The importance of connecting, connecting with people, connecting with teachers at a young age. Allah Azza wa Jal, He speaks about Rasulullah and He says, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Indeed, O Muhammad وسلم, you enjoy the very highest of character. Let's look at this word here. Which, I, which surah is this? Qalam. وَإِنَّكَ Indeed, inna is for emphasis. Lam is for emphasis. Azim is for mubalagha, for greatness, so much, not just little character. Azim, great character. Ala comes from the meaning of on top, what we say, tamakkun, tamakkun. Meaning to be fully, you know, in, uh, 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 to, uh, to be fully grounded in. Ala comes from fully grounded in, on top of it. It's like imagine a heap, a huge heap in a big pile of character. And at the very top of it is our beloved Rasulullah wasallam. So Rasulullah he like he literally, you know, he, he, his character was magic. Just people could not resist him because of the beautiful character that Rasulullah had. And so that's why we have to study Rasulullah as a father, Rasulullah as a husband, Rasulullah as a general, Rasulullah as a statesman, as a leader, Rasulullah as a companion amongst companions. Rasulullah as a mu'allim. There are so many amazing books that are out there that we teachers read and should continue to read as an nabi al-mu'allim. A prophet as a teacher. What was his character? Every father should read that. Every mother should read that. Every teacher should read that. Every older brother, older sister. Anyone who's in charge of raising someone, correcting someone, should read books like an nabi al-mu'allim. Sheikh uh, Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda, rahimahumullah, uh, has written books on not only... Min Adab al-Islam, you know, in, in, uh, regarding the etiquette of, of uh, Islam, which is a beautiful book, but also An-Nabi al-Mu'allim is a great book. You know, the, 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 the teacher, the An-Nabi al-Mu'allim, the Nabi that is the ultimate teacher. That's something, subhanAllah, uh, when I read it, you know, it really, it, it really hits you, man. It really hits you in the heart. You say, subhanAllah, these are things that, you know, all this self-help books and all that stuff you see out there. Once you read the seed of the Rasulullah, you give up all that. You say, oh my God, all of that stuff is exactly taken from here. There's no one, no one, no one, no one absolutely who gave us a better example of what it means to be a good teacher or a good parent than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So many examples of that, but we have to move on. Now, you say, how is that? Well, the way we, you and I know it is because Nabi alayhi he said, Adabani Rabbi my Lord is the one who taught me etiquette. Adabani Rabbi, my Lord is the one who taught me etiquette. Who's saying this? Rasulullah. My Lord taught me etiquette. And how beautiful he taught me the etiquette. So if, if the teacher is Allah, what do you expect? The grantor of Adab is Allah, of course. And the receiver is Rasulullah. So he was carved in the very best manner. 
And every single aspect of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as Hassan bin Sabit says, It's as though you've been created the way you wish you would have. Like you know, people say, "I wish I, my hair was like this, my eyes were like this." Nabi Asad's Zahiri external beauty was so amazing. If you were to given the full reins of your own facial features and your physical features, you would have never been able to choose a better face, a better physique than Rasulullah was given. It's as though he had chosen himself. But this was not just the surah of the Prophet ﷺ, this is also the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. These are two words, surah and seerah. Surah, seerah. With one with a sad, one with a seen. Surah, sad, wa rata is physical, physique, physical features. And seerah is internal you know, features of Rasulullah ﷺ. Okay, now it's not just Rasulullah who enjoys the best character and the purity, it's his household as well. Allah says in Surah Ahzab, Ayah 33, Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to remove evil, filth, Ahl al-Bayt, oh, the family of the Prophet sallallahu and He wants to purify you completely. So since Rasulullah is so pure, his household is also been chosen to be absolutely pure from all blemish and faults. So now let's go to the verse here. You enter the Prophet sallallahu house. How should you enter? There are some basic etiquettes over here. What is the number one etiquette? That do not enter someone's house without permission. So this was a jahili, a jahili thing that you just barge into people's houses. People just go in. Whether there's women, men exposed, this, that. You know, no one would care. They just go in. So we've been told that no, you cannot barge into anyone's home without taking permission. Nowadays we have doors, double doors, we have bell, we have everything. Still, if the door is unlocked, don't barge in. Don't look in. If you're standing at someone's outside, don't look through the window. Don't listen, peek in. Do not listen into the conversations outside the house before they come in. If they're arguing, fighting, or joking, laughing, speak about something private, walk away from the door. You're not supposed to be listening to that. You're not meant to be listening to that. It is absolutely not jayiz and permissible for us to listen or to look what we were not expected to look at. That is the, that is the character of a Muslim. You hear, you accidentally hear a, a voice message comes to you, which was not meant for you. A picture comes to you, it was not meant for you. Immediately delete it. Why do, there's no reason for anyone to say, I sent you accidentally. Say, brother, I don't even know. Immediately, as soon as I saw, within the first second I heard it, it's fulan, ya fulan, or someone's voice, female's voice, it's not meant for me. Khalas, delete it. It can happen. Today's smartphone era is very easy to make major mistakes. A picture, a voice message, a video here and there. But we have to have that sense that this was not meant for my eyes, not meant for my ears, delete it. Against the deen. So do not enter a home without, if you're not invited, without permission. Number two, when you arrive at that home, if you have been invited for a specific time, then do not overstay that time. Leave when the time ends. Don't think that let me wait for another hour and maybe it'll be breakfast time, lunch time, dinner time and I'll be invited to eat. This is what is being said. Rather, Shaykh Abdul Fattah writes in his book, when you're visiting someone's home, make sure you don't visit at a time when it's usually meals are served. Avoid a meal time. You have to go speak to someone about something. Choose a time when people are not eating lunch or dinner so that they don't feel obliged to invite you. So we're supposed to be, be aware of that. Not the other way around to say we overstay so that we get invited for dinner. <laughs> okay. And then subhanAllah, the host, the host is not... The host is not the one who says, oh, you stand outside for one hour, let's talk, I'm not going to even offer you a glass of water. 
the host subhanallah his desires are no this is such an amazing in, uh, moment that someone has come to my door let me at least offer him something and if you cannot offer something or it's not the time for offering or if we're fasting you know whatever the case may be then we've we've seen this with mona shawri tani has written and i have my father and i and uncle rahimahullah we've experienced this with mona natarik jamil when we go visit him in his in his village 20 plus years ago we were fasting it was ramadan and he said i want to invite you for a meal but i can't so he just gave the taxi driver you know, a few, whatever, some amount of rupees. And he said, please, whenever you stop by for iftar, use this money to purchase iftar. Mawlana writes that this is the way to do it. If this is an, not an appropriate time for having lunch or dinner, or you don't have a, the ability to do so, then at least take care of the next meal. Say, here, this is, I don't have anything ready, but I would like you to, you know, let your next meal be on me. Type of thing. There's, this is nothing wrong with that. You know, the deen is no takalluf. Right? There's no tasannu. There's no fake formalities. I want to honor you, but I don't have anything ready at my home. I have nothing. Here, just take this. I mean, this is another whole topic to speak about. What does it mean ready at home? None of us are expecting to have, you know, uh, what you call uh, T-bone steaks ready all the time, grilled, on the grill. As soon as anyone shows up, there's there for you. No one's expecting some biryani to be cooking every single day. When you say ma hadar, whatever you have present, it could be an apple, it could be a pear, it could be fruits, it could be a, 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 a cookie. Whatever it is, doesn't make a difference. The idea is, does he, is he hungry? Is he, is he a beggar who's at your door? Of course not. He's probably not even hungry. It is simply just the honoring the fact that you're here, I want to give you something. Not that he's in need of it. So when he's not in need of it, then you don't need to worry about biryani. It's simply the thought that counts. But when we add all of these takallufat and ex, 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 uh, excessiveness to our menu, I mean, I don't know about your home, but in our home, we can't have this ready menu every single day. It's just not going to work. Right? So then what happens? We say, oh, if that menu is not there, I'm not going to give anything. Or I don't want to have anyone over. You're depriving yourself of having guests. You're depriving yourself of honoring someone. Because you've unnecessarily added all of these formalities to taking care of guests. I hope you all understand what I'm saying. So remove that. There's no takalluf in our deen. So don't wait unnecessarily for a meal. Okay. What else, what's the third etiquette? Do not come too early. Don't come too early before the invitation. He's setting up things the last 10 minutes before the 11 o'clock if you're inviting him for brunch, 7 o'clock inviting him for dinner. You come early, they're running around trying to set up the table. Now we're there. It's so awkward. The wife can't come. The daughter can't come you know, to set up things. The husband himself is trying to go randomly go bring this, that. You know, maybe trying to get some ice, this. Now we're sitting there. It inconveniences the people. So a person can come early, if you want to be on time, you can park your car a street away. And you can just message the host exactly at time that I'm in the area, let me know when to come. So you're there, you're not going to get caught up in traffic and come late. You're there right next door. But you're not sitting in their driveway to, they're worried, oh my God, what to, what to do now? We have to invite them inside. But the inside, we still need to prepare. So as one street away, you park. And exactly at that time, you message and say, I'm here. Whenever the other guests arrive. That's the key thing. You want to arrive when the other guests arrive. Just like it feels uncomfortable for you, it's uncomfortable for them as well to have to host one person. If there's 10 other people invited, you might as well just come when everyone else comes. Are you understanding these things? So these are basic etiquette that we need to have in mind. Nabi is sahaba are being trained in this and we are all being trained in this. Okay, next etiquette here. Once you finish eating, then leave. 
Once you finish eating, then stand up and leave. After munasib talking. Don't keep on speaking for too long that you overstay your hospitality. And end up, it's getting late. The host has little kids. They need to put them to sleep. They have work tomorrow. You might be off on Saturday, but maybe they're not. Maybe others are not. And each one is thinking, oh, we're going to, I guess the party is on till you're here. Each one's thinking the other guy. And we're inconveniencing our host. So be very mindful about all of these things when you're going to someone's house. What is a munasib time? What is appropriate time to leave? They have elderly parents who might be sleeping. They have little kids who might be sleeping, etc. Keep in mind all of these things so we don't overstay while we're there. Nabi Allah, what does he say? Nabi has such good character. He is shy from speaking up. He is shy to tell you. That is the beautiful care. We have, mashallah, teachers like that over here. Very shy. If they get disrespected or whatnot, then they won't say anything. But Allah Azza wa Jal, what He says, Wallahu la min al-haq. Allah, if we want to literally translate it, Allah doesn't shy away from speaking the truth. Or Allah is not afraid of disclosing the truth. He's going to tell you how it is. So you always have to have people who must highlight it for those who don't get it. You know, when there was a zamana, there was a time when a teacher walks out. So I'm so, that was like the worst possible thing. You know, Nietzsche says, Amin Ukargi, like that. Like the worst thing the teacher closes the books is done. I'm walking out. And you would sit there and cry. Say, oh my God, what do we do now? Today, say, I have to chuti, yeah? let's go get some, grab some Krispy Kremes and enjoy ourselves. Today, day off. Alhamdulillah, teachers are not coming back. I remember I, we had experienced these things overseas, and those were like the worst days of our life, of our study days. Like, oh, what should we do? The class didn't do the homework. Or one student spoke out of line, and it really upset the teacher. He said, done. I'm out. I'm not going to teach you until, until you all figure it out. And I, I tell my colleagues, you do that today, the students who don't have, majority who don't have etiquette, they say, Zabardas Chutti, we'll have this 45 minutes, we'll just go in the kitchen and enjoy. Even you kick a kid out of class today, he doesn't understand that. Basic etiquette. Chutti, tell them to go outside and go get something from the vending machine and enjoy. Right, so these are thuqala. They're thaqil people. They don't, they don't, can't read between the lines. They can't be dealt with haya, with people with soft character. Someone's got to be firm with them and say, okay, this is what you're doing wrong. Do you not understand that? I guess you don't. Well, here it is. You have done something wrong. And they need to be explained. So Nabi Allah Azza wa Jal himself. What I'm trying to tell you is that character is so important that Nabi Allah SWT is not saying, okay, ya Nabi Allah, you're so soft and kind. Chalo, let them just be like that. No! If my Nabi is soft, I'm not going to allow you to abuse him like that. I'm not going to allow you to, you know, step over him like that. In his house. His wife is waiting outside. You all are sitting here, eating, and just sitting there. I'm going to send a revelation down for the rest of humanity. For the till, forever, for eternity. For you know you made a mistake. And you bet none of you should make mistakes like this. Because character is so important. When, when Nabi Sallallahu was in Mecca, Nabi Allah watched Nabi Sallallahu get pelted in Ta'if. He watched him get, get abused physically and, and emotionally every single day. Spat upon every single day. That was a different phase of Rasulullah's life. And it was a different phase of the Ummah. But now once you're in the Madani era, and now expectations are different from the Sahaba. They know better. More Muslims have come about. An environment has been created. Well now guess what? We're gonna lay out the rules. If you even raise your voice in front of him, 
your entire treasure chest of good deeds will be wiped clean in an instant. And you won't even know about it. I will make up zero, zero, control all, delete, do every good deed. Hajj, sadaqah, jihad, everything zero instantaneously if you raise your voice in front of him. Things have changed now. We're not in Mecca now. We're not little kids. We're not new Muslims. We are born Muslims. We're in Medina or we're converts. The Medina environment is different. Rasulullah his status is known to you now. You better respect that. That's how what we are, my dear friends. As madrasa students and in our, well, not only madrasa students, but as Muslim community. We're not kufara Makkah, we're just in Jahili era. Where are we? We are, subhanAllah, born Muslims for generations. We have to know the etiquette of a jadeen. We have to know the etiquette of Allah and His Rasul We can't just give a pass upon these things. So start educating our children and ourselves actually. We have no etiquette ourselves. We have no etiquette ourselves. Look how we speak to one another. Look how we speak to, about others. Look how people, when people say, the kid is very disrespectful to, to, and to Islam. And we're worried. It, a lot of times it starts off with the father's disrespect for ulama himself. The father, whole life, he put poison into his kid's mind about scholars and ulama and aima. <laughs> why would his kid grow up respecting them? And they represent deen. So why would he respect the deen? He says, oh, this is trash. That's what my, I've been fed, that they're trash. So then he feels the deen is trash. Now, of course, then he's not going to pray and he's going to give back answers to you. And he's going to walk out of the house. And he's going to go bring some random person for marriage. All these things are going to happen. Many times, what is the reason for that? Because we ourselves created this Frankenstein. All, right, all of that backbiting of scholars and all of that backbiting and attacking, making fun of the deen, is, it, you know, it'll come to haunt us. Allah protect us from doing things like that. So etiquette and akhlaq of elders is, is so, so important. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala corrected the sahaba and then He said, إِنَّ ذَلِكُمْ maqsad, my dear brothers and sisters, we must correct flaws in akhlaq even if it offends someone but do it in a nice manner. Quietly you call him and whisper or write a note to say this is actually disrespectful, you don't realize it. Send him a text message, write a little note, leave it for them. Don't, not in public. Quietly, privately, preface it with all good things. Preface it with praises. Talk about the good things that they have. And then sugarcoat it, but eventually say that this is something you need to improve on. To make it palatable, make it easy for... It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bitter pill. Don't make it hard for them. Right? No one likes to be called out on their character. Right? No one likes to be told that, you know what, by the way, you sound very obnoxious, very arrogant, very full of yourself, conceited. These are people all around you. You know exactly what I'm speaking about. You have your own circle of people who you know, you're like, my God, this person is so self-conceited. He's always speaking about himself. No one's ready to go up to say, Bhai, you know what? You're very narcissistic. I'm sorry, I got to tell you that. Someone's got to tell them that. They just don't know about it. And then, but, you, but now that's the, such a bitter pill to accept, to take, to being told that I'm arrogant, I'm narcissistic, I'm so full, you know. But so that's where you got to make it easy. Spell it out very nicely with praises and whatnot, and then give real concrete examples and make them logically understand how they got these flaws in them. Unless and until you don't do that, they will continue on that path. And who's going to do that? You're going to do that if you love them. I'm telling all of you, if you see something like this type of character flaw in me that I'm not aware of, whether you're a student of mine, or a colleague of mine, or an elder of the community, I would, love, I would really appreciate that you come and share that with me. How else am I going to know that?
That is the love we're supposed to have for one another. That we reach out to one another and say, these are the, you know, something, something I had done when I was in madrasa, alhamdulillah. I actually would go to my classmates and I said, here I am with a notebook, like you're all taking notes. I would say, can you please share with me any character flaws that you notice in me? And how can I improve? People get caught off guard, like what are you talking about? But I'm like, yeah, I'm here to learn. I want to learn how to improve my penmanship. I want to learn how to speak Arabic. I want to learn how to speak Urdu. I want to learn my fiqh. And I also want to become a better, well-mannered person. So if you see something that is a flaw in me, then you have to correct me. This is the type of well-wishing and love we should have for one another. That there's no offense taken, no offense given. It's done in a very nice, beautiful manner. We need to create sarat. This is, this is the time to us not have takalluf. Adab, kete adab, hadramadi adab. This is completely against adab. This is fake. Okay, we have a big smile on our face and dil You know that. We all know exactly what I'm talking about. The women and the men do this to each other. As soon as they leave the house, they say, yeah, you know, no one worse than them. No one has worse akhlaq than them. We know exactly what we're speaking about. Big smile. And we're, the, we're the munafiks too. We're the munafiks as well. All everyone's got this hypocrisy. We face each other with one, with one face, and in our hearts we think completely different about them. We really need to get rid of this two-facedness within our communities. Within, within, start off with yourself. Within ourselves, make sure you are not two-faced. Right? Make sure you don't be over-nice to people unnecessarily. And if there's something you feel in your heart that this person can improve, then nicely tell them. That's how it is. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I don't, I'm not shy from this. I'm going to speak the truth. You, it's not it is not appropriate for you to harm Allah and His Rasul or to get married to, sorry not Allah and His Rasul to harm Rasulullah or to get married to his wives after he passes away this is regarded a very big sin this will be regarded any of this disrespect to the Prophet is regarded a big sin I already translated the next portion which was there's no problem if the husband, if Rasulullah's wives, and for that matter, we could say any other, any other women, if they come in front of their mahram relatives, be it their fathers, husbands, sons, nephews, etc., if they're not fully covered, meaning the hair covered, etc. This is, this is what I need to cover. There's one portion of this ayah that I want to spend the last few minutes of speaking about. And that is, Allah says, Furthermore, in ayah 53, Allah says, when you speak to the wives of the Prophet then and you ask them for any article, anything you need to, to use for your home, or you need to borrow something from them, or you need to ask them for a fatwa, right? You need to take some fatwa from the wives of the Prophet then in that case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَاسْأَلُوهُنَّ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابِ Ask them from behind a screen. This is not my tafsir or my translation, straight up. You can pick up in any tafsir, a translation of the Qur'an, pick it up and read it yourself. Ayah 53. Furthermore, with respect to his wives, whenever you ask them for any article, then ask them from behind the screen. What have the scholars of tafsir spoken about on this topic? And I'm sure from the earliest of scholars, Imam Tabari rahimahullah, he says that, وَإِذَا سَأَلْتُمْ أَزْوَاجَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَنِسَاءَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ 
When you speak to the wives of the Prophet and the wives of believers who are not your wives, the women of the believers are not your wives, then ask them from behind the screen. Qurtubi rahimahumullah says, وَفِي هَذِي الْآيَةِ دَلِيلٌ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَىٰ أَذِنَ فِي مَسْأَلَتِهِنَّ مِنْ وَرَأِي حَجَابٍ فِي حَاجَةٍ تَعْرِضْ أو مَسْأَلَةٍ يُسْتَفْتِينَ فِيهَا وَيَدْخُلُ فِي ذَلِكَ جَمِعُ النِّسَاءِ بِالْمَعْنَىٰ He says, in this hukum, in this verse, and under the jurisdiction of this verse, or the command of this verse, all of the general women of the community, of the Muslim community is included in this. This is not specific to the wives of the Prophet this command of Allah is general. It includes women of the wives of the Prophet ﷺ or anyone besides that. Shaykh Hussain uh, Muhammad Khalouf, who was the mufti, past mufti of, of Egypt and the entire region, he mentions in his tafsir, Safatul Bayan, the command regarding believing women. In this regard, is similar to the command related to the wives of the Prophet So, what is that command? The command is that when you speak to women, then you speak to them behind the screen. When you have to ask them for something, ask them from behind the screen. Why? That is sure to be a cause of more purity. It is sure to be a sense to create deepen the purity of your hearts and their hearts. Meaning, this is to avoid any impurity coming into your hearts or their hearts by looking at one another. So Allah is saying in this verse of, of Surah Al-Ahzab that even if you have to go speak to the best women who are your mothers, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, then ensure that you don't speak to them face to face. You put a veil between you and them. Who are they? Average women or they're pious women? They are the best women of the Ummah. The best women of the Ummah. And who is this being spoken to? The best era that has ever come on this earth. The era of the, after Rasulullah, the era of the Sahaba. Khairul Quruni Qarni. The best era is my era. This is the era of the Prophet. He just passed. This is being revealed while he's alive. This is being revealed while he's alive. That in this era, O Sahaba, also when you go speak to his wives, make sure you speak behind the veil. And this is to ensure that your hearts and her hearts, their hearts remain pure, no thoughts come to your mind. If you see their face, if you see their body, if you see their physique, or she or they see the man's physique or man's body, then issues may arise. My dear friends, I don't know what else we would require after this verse to understand the problem of teaching women and men without a barrier, face to face. And which is slowly becoming the norm, or not slowly, already has become the norm. And what people do not understand, subhanAllah, they say women are not being given the opportunity to study. Women are being, you know, treated second-class citizens. Women are not getting the opportunity to study the deen. We have to, that's why, do all of this. So I want all of those people who listen to me, who hear people like this, I want you to bring these women and men to our class. I want you to sit in our seventh year class of Doratul Hadith. And I want you to sit, if you're girls, sit with those girls of ours. If you're boys, then you, men, you sit in our class. And by Allah, I'll tell you, subhanAllah, I am thankful to Allah Azza wa Jal that each one of those girls who sits behind the, 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 the you know, sits in another building, part of the building, and studied with us for the past six years, has more knowledge 
than 100 men of the community. You understand that? More knowledge than 100 men of the average men of the community. For the past six years, the depth that they have gone into in hadith and fiqh and Arabic and, and fatwa and, and looking through books, just like our boys, there's absolutely not 1% difference in terms of their academic abilities. But rather I would say some of them are even far beyond our boys. If you, what opportunity is being lost here? What a big farce to say, unless and until you don't bring women in front of you, without a hijab, for a man to look into her eyes and for the women to look into the eyes of the man, until you don't do that, ilm cannot be given properly. True knowledge cannot transpire, transpire from one person to the other. The actually, knowledge will transpire less, something else will transpire more, if that's what you have. So how you can you claim for you or for your women to be more pure than the wives of the Prophet and for you to be more pure than the Sahaba So this is a, a misconception of the Ummah today. And this is, Shaitan is giving people a big, big, you know, he's taking them for a ride, frankly speaking. We ask Allah to remove these veils from my heart and your heart for us to be able to distinguish right from wrong. At the end of the day, I ask all those people not to get offended by what I'm saying. I'm saying it for your benefit and my benefit. I'm saying for the protection of our communities. How many more scandals you want to have? Maybe you don't hear enough. Why don't you come join my call list? Why don't you listen to my calls every day for just one week? Then you'll understand what we're dealing with. How many scandals? Not between teachers and students only. Between father and daughter. Between uncle and niece. Between grandfather and granddaughter. What is not happening within our community? Nothing. Every single thing that happens in the worst type of non-Muslims is happening within our community. Right here. Every single thing. There's nothing that's off the table. That's why I would say even within home, you have to be so particular. The women have to be super particular. Girls have to be super particular. That even at home, don't expose yourself. Don't be, you know, just in the way you're in your bedroom. Around men in the house. Absolutely not. This is a very ajib era we live in. And due to the smartphone, and due to all the filth that's there, and due to shaitan full ninth gear, so much evil is happening. So we see that, and that's why we clearly translated the verse of the Qur'an. I don't even need to bring anything else. This is a straight verse of the Qur'an. I ask Allah to allow you and I to genuinely understand what was just said. And pray that our leaders, our scholars, our community members, across the globe and across the country understand this point. And not fall into the deception of shaitan in the name of education of women. Because alhamdulillah, I have my girls of the students of the madrasa to challenge that. To find me, inshallah, students equivalent to the caliber of theirs who are attending some random Friday night halaqa, some random Saturday night program in which they're being told or they are being asked that no, we need to sit next to men and listen. And we need to see the imam has to speak, look into my eyes and speak. Otherwise, I'm not going to benefit. They are being lied to. Those girls are being lied to. Just like the girls here are being lied to to say, until you are not unclothed, you're not free. If you're wearing a hijab or a jilbab, you're being shackled. Isn't that what our women are being told? Well, the same, same type of lie is being told to these people. Then unless and until you don't sit mixed with men and face to face with men, you're being treated like a second class citizen. Wallahi, how do you not see? That's the same lie that's coming from the same factory that tells us if you cover your hair, or if you only have no boyfriend, no girlfriend, then this is what? This is a life of the archaic age. This is a life of misery. If you take care of your husband, you're a madhloom. If you take care of your mom and dad, you're a madhloom, you're oppressed. 
That same factory that comes up with this propaganda is the same factory that's producing this propaganda. That if you sit, men and women, if you don't sit next to each other, and if you don't have, without hijab, if you're not being taught, then you're being oppressed. I ask Almighty Allah to allow us to truly see where this lies are coming from, where this propaganda is coming from. And He protect us from the evil attacks of shaitan and the evil attacks of nafs. And may He keep this institution on the straight path, on the sunnah of Rasulullah till the very end. And may He save this institution and all those who will carry on this institution after, long after where you and I are gone. May He save them from any type of innovation, any type of watering down of the deen uh, and, and bowing down to the dictates and the uh, the wishes of the nafs and the wishes of the people around. And may Allah Azza wa Jal keep this institution a reviver of the sunnah of the Prophet and a flag bearer of the true sunnah of Rasulullah throughout the ages. And let it become a source of inspiration that you can follow the sunnah and you can be successful. You can follow the sunnah and get to women, get to men, and offer as more programs than anyone else. You can do all that. Who said you have to break the sunnah? Who says you have to break the Quranic teachings? Follow all of that. And inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you success. You will be able to bring a change into the lives of everyone. So we ask Allah for sincerity. We ask Allah for ikhlas. We ask Allah for protection from the evil eye. We ask Allah protection from hasad. We ask Allah protection from sihar. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protection from all the evil plots of, the, of those who plot. Be it from the humans, be it from the jinn. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahumma bihamdik. And ashadu an la ilaha illa anta and astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allah Akbar Allah Akbar Allah Akbar Allah Akbar Ashadu an la ilaha illallah Ashadu an la ilaha illallah Ashadu an محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة
Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar La Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar Ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah, ashadu an la ilaha illa Allah Ashadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah, ashadu anna Muhammadar Rasulullah Hayya ala salati, hayya ala salah Hayya ala al-falah, hayya ala al-falah قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله استوى اعتدل الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين لا أقسم بيوم القيامة ولا أقسم بالنفس اللوامة أيحسب الإنسان أن لن نجمع عظامه بلا قادرين على أن نسوي بنانه بل يريد الإنسان ليفجر أمامه يسأل أيان يوم القيامة فإذا برق البصر وخسف القمر وجمع الشمس والقمر يقول الإنسان يومئذ أين المفر كلا لا وزر إلى ربك يومئذ المستقر ينبأ الإنسان يومئذ بما قدم وأخر بل الإنسان على نفسه بصيرة ولو ألقى معاذيره لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به إن علينا جمعه وقرآنه 
فإذا قرأناه فاتبع قرآنه ثم إن علينا بيانه كلا بل تحبون العاجلة وتذرون الآخرة وجوه يومئذ ناظرة إلى ربها ناظرة ووجوه يومئذ باسرة تظن أن يفعل بها فاقرة الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حميده الله الله أكبر الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين كلا إذا بلغت التراقي وقيل من راق وظن أنه الفراق والتفت الساق بالساق إلى ربك يومئذ المساق فلا صدق ولا صلى ولكن كذب وتولى ثم ذهب إلى أهله يتمطى أولى لك فأولى ثم أولى لك فأولى أيحسب الإنسان أن يترك سدى ألم يكن طفة من مني يمنى ثم كان علقة فخلق فسوى فجعل منه الزوجين الذكر والأنثى أليس ذلك بقادر على أن يحيي الموتى الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حميده الله الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر
الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حميده الله أكبر الله 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 سمع الله لمن حميده الله الله أكبر الله أكبر الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الله أكبر استغفر الله استغفر الله استغفر الله الذي لا إله إلا الله لا إله إلا الله سبحان الله سبحان الله الحمد لله اللهم تقبل حسناتها وتجاوز سيئاتها اللهم اغفر لنا وللمؤمنين والمؤمنات والمسلمين والمسلمات الأحياء منهم والأموات إنك سميع قريب ومجيب الدعوات سبحان ربك رب العزة ما صفون وسلام على المرسلين وحمد لله رب العالمين One request is uh, from the students and the, our brothers who are here for the tafsir and general community Alhamdulillah it, it genuinely brings me so much delight to see the environment of how many youth the students and the youth who attend the tafsir MashaAllah in the, in the lobby, it's awesome to see the site, it's beautiful. But may I request that please, before we uh, start going outside and speaking, that we do the very basic sunnah and witr. We perform our salah nicely here. It's not the time now to delay witr, is not the era right now. We should pray our witr in the masjid. You can get up for tahajjud, alhamdulillah. But if Umar radiallahu anhu himself was, was so particular, worried about not waking up, then who, where, where do I and you stand? 
pray your sunnah and witr before you go out in the lobby and talk. You can speak, mashallah, no problem, as long as you want. But we don't want to create an environment where people inside here in the front row cannot pray because people are screaming in the back. So I request all the students, uh, our local students and those who are visiting for the program and our musallis, everyone let's make a habit of prayer sunnah with her softly, nicely, pray, do some dhikr, and then mashallah go outside and inshallah enjoy the rest of the evening. Zakumullah <laughs> khairan.